Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast, a series for recruiters by recruiters. I'm Danny Reinert, and in each episode, I have candid conversations about careers in recruitment with some of the best talent that Teamings has to offer. They'll be giving you a glimpse into the highs and lows of their recruitment careers, their motivations and drivers, and their secret to success in the industry. You can listen and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and other favorite podcast platforms. Let's meet our next guest. Morning, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Good, very well, thank you. Good, good. Firstly, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of uh, of Secrets of Success in our uh, series two. Um, So firstly, I just wanted to, for people watching this that don't know you, just get a really quick overview of your career history really just a very snapshot and the role that you do at Eames and the, and the team that you look after if that's okay. Yeah sure so I, I joined Eames um, oh god nine nine years ago now um, pro- god, probably six seven years worth of experience elsewhere with um, uh, with other companies I mean I, I've always worked within insurance recruitment um, so started in 2004 with Hayes then on to Darwin Rhodes and then Eames in 2012. So I joined as a senior consultant. Um, thankfully, was given um, a number of opportunities to progress. Uh, and now I lead the insurance perm division, which consists of broken and underwriting, which is the original team that I joined, um, claims and operations, which is obviously the team that Sam runs, uh, and compliance as well. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And um, I know you're, you're often very modest, but a very successful team um, and division and uh, and fared pretty well through the COVID period and everything that went on. Am I right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's a fantastic team. Um, I think having um, a number of, you know, really good individuals that sort of, um, you know, contribute so, so regularly mm-hmm. is it is hugely important and um you know everyone's everyone's played a part since since yeah. the covid um situation so yeah very very lucky to to have those guys good stuff um so one of the things that i that we're going to talk about today and that i always think of when i think of your your team and your division is meetings so face to face meetings client meetings candidate meetings um and as we know the landscape's changed a little bit um, around that in the last 12 months or a lot should I say um, but my first question would be why do your team put such an emphasis on face-to-face meetings and, and what is the impact of that time spent with somebody yeah. face-to-face in the market? Good question I think um, a lot of it if I'm honest is, is to do with the market that we recruit in. I mean insurance and in particular the London um, insurance market um, you know, it's a, it's a market with sort of 400 years worth of worth of tradition behind it, and it is a face-to-face business. Um, yeah. And you know, the amount of times I've been sort of attended meetings that realistically could have easily been done over the phone or over email, yeah. uh, but that's just the way that the insurance market works. And I think um, you know, pe- people enjoy recruiting in the market for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. Is it that the, the, there is a there is a social aspect to it? Um, and you're you're not just sort of you know picking up the phone you know 50 times a day to sort of speak to somebody there's actually that human interaction um so that that's probably why client and candidate meetings feature quite quite heavily in our in our weekly activity yeah and do you as the 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 director of that division do you if we think about pre-covid do you see a direct correlation between people getting out and meeting clients and candidates face to face and their performance 
is it that linear? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I, I, um, I think I've only ever worked with one person who uh, very rarely went out to meetings and um, and actually didn't make too many phone calls at all. But but, but she's <laughs> she's recruiting to the life actuarial market, and she was an absolute okay. machine. Um, so she used to do everything by email. But to, to answer your question, yeah, the 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 the, the most successful consultants you'll find. Um, you know, uh, put in a significant amount of effort into mm-hmm. their client meetings and candidate meetings. And if you think about how successful somebody like Karen has been over the years, yeah. um, and you look at how many candidate meetings and, and client meetings and just in general FaceTime that he gets with uh, with, with his subjects is, it, you know, basically tells its own story. And, you know, some of the other people that we've seen perform very well within our division, it's all down to sort of client meetings and candidate meetings because, yeah. you know, I always say to the guys, there's no such thing as a bad meeting. You know, mm-hmm. you, you always end up learning at least one thing that you didn't you didn't know before before the meeting. So, um, I mean, it's absolutely crucial to the way that we work. Yeah, absolutely. And you, to touch on a couple of points you made there. So for people watching this that maybe haven't even started in recruitment yet or at a more junior level, if we think about the specific things that people can take away from a good meeting, it's like you said, it's that learning, isn't it? So it's it's understanding your market. It's also the networking and it's building the confidence and the credibility to discuss your network with people and what's going on in the market and take information from one person in one meeting over here and kind of relay it to somebody yeah. else. Um, yeah. I suppose those are some of the specifics for people that they may be able to take away from a really good client meeting or candidate meeting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always been one of the things that I've always enjoyed, you know, going into client meetings. And I almost have a bit of a checklist to um, figure out which gaps I want filling in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes, especially more junior individuals, and I, and I have it in my team at the moment, where you, you, can, you can sense that the, the less experienced individuals are are sometimes nervous that the client will ask them something or the candidate will ask them something that they that they don't know the answer to. Yeah. Um, but, but I think quite often um, as recruiters, you know, we we are we're paid to do a certain job. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very, very good to be as technical as you can be. But, you know, if, you, if we're going to get into a fight with a client uh, or a candidate on a technical matter, we're going to come out second best. So you've got yeah. to the conversation and there's an art to it you've got to guide the conversation in the way that you want it to go and glean all the information that you wanted to glean coming into that meeting so um, you know as I say um, as long as you learn one thing that you didn't know going into the meeting um, then it's a good meeting it's worthwhile absolutely and that that kind of takes me on to my um, my next question around before the client meeting so a lot of the time we the activity that we drive is book a client meeting get in front of clients and candidates and I think I'd be guilty of this when I was a, a hands-on biller is you yeah. book the meeting you pick up your pad and pen and it's it's off you go sort of thing but there is there is work people should be doing to set themselves up beforehand for a successful client meeting and, and you touched on a couple of bits there could you give us a bit more detail around what you would suggest people are doing ahead of the meeting yeah, I mean, pr- preparation is absolutely key. I mean, I know that mm. sounds really obvious, but you'll be surprised how many people don't and, and they'll mm. just up, um, irrespective of whether you've met that client for the first time or, you know, whether it's a sort of fifth or sixth meeting with them, you have to prepare. Yeah. Um, and again, it sounds really obvious, but I, I always have a bit of a checklist that I go through uh, recent comings and goings, um, you know, uh, the, the actual background of the individual that you're meeting. Um, and one, one of the things I always do without fail is, especially if I'm meeting a client for the first time, is look at that client's background and then cross-reference that with people that I know that would have been at that company 
with yeah. that at the same time because it mm -hmm. just you know and I always drop that 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 contact's name into the into the into the meeting as well because the chances yeah. are the client will pick up the phone to the person I've name dropped and say oh I met such and such today what do you think of them um, and it just goes that there's no shame in doing it it just goes to show how uh, sort of deep your um, your network goes mm -hmm. um, so preparation is absolutely key you should know you know, I'm, I wouldn't ask anybody to sort of get into the nitty gritty of the, you know, the, you know, the last three years financial accounts or anything like that. But no. as, as a minimum, I'd expect anybody going into a client meeting, no matter how familiar they are with the client, to understand what's been happening there, where the potential mm -hmm. gaps are, um, because only then can you really sort of propose, um, you know, any solutions to them if you're if you're asked on the spot. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and and let's be honest, we, we all get asked questions um, in those client meetings um, and, and you've got to be ready to consult. You've got to be ready to give the client um, some solutions to the questions that they've that, that they've posed. Um, yeah. So pr preparation is key. Honestly, it's you know, it makes up 75 percent of that, of that, how well that meeting is going to go. It yeah. depends on how much preparation you're going to put in. If you if you rock up with just your pad and your pen, mm. then you'll get a bit of a. A bit of a battering, I think. Yeah, and I think it shows, doesn't it, for for maybe people that are a bit more junior that don't have the network yet to leverage and and, and kind of that credibility necessarily in the market, where someone will pick up the phone and take a reference on them and stuff. Just by almost demonstrating that they have done some prep and they're coming and there's a pad there with questions prepared and information and stuff, it yeah. shows a level of respect for that person that you've asked for that time from, doesn't it? That yeah. candidate or that client that you've yeah. put thought into it, you've come prepared. And and am I right in thinking that you know it's it's okay not to have all the answers um, yeah. and you are better off saying. I'm not really sure on that one, but I'll go away. I'll speak to my manager. I'll do some research, and can I come back to you later today yeah. with an answer to that question? Yeah, I mean, you you obviously want to want those situations to occur, um, you know, as less as possible. If yeah, I'm honest with you. And it goes back to what I was saying around making sure you guide the conversation in the way that you want to guide it to, mm -hmm. uh, in the way that you want it to. Um, but also, you know, even if you are less experienced and haven't actually don't have anybody in your network that might have crossed paths, the chances are your manager will have, the chances yeah. are in the team will have. So, you know, there's nothing stopping a more junior consultant preparing um, by asking their colleagues and saying, look, guys, I'm going to see X, Y, Z. Um, they worked here, here and here. Do we know anybody that's friendly that, you know, kind of might have crossed paths with this uh, individual? And it yeah. all makes a massive difference. Mm -hmm. If you think about the amount of times you know, somebody's come in and done a pitch to you um, where you're the client and you've walked away from that meeting thinking, do you know what, that, that, they really know what they're talking about. They've done their yeah. homework. You know, you always use that phrase, they've done their done homework. Their homework. Yeah. And, it, and it goes a long way towards dictating how, how successful the meeting's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's really great advice. And then if we think about during the actual meeting, and we, and we have kind of touched on it a little bit, but is there anything that you make sure you always do when you've got someone in the room or you've got that FaceTime to maximise that meeting in any way? Yeah, again, sort of going back on what I said earlier, it's just about having a structure, um, mm -hmm. understanding what you want to glean from that meeting, whether it's yeah. you know bulking out a job spec, whether it's understanding where the gaps are, whether it's understanding who the heads of are uh, and, and the various touch points for the wider division. If you, if you don't have that checklist in front of you, um, you're not going to work your way through it. Uh, yeah. And it's impossible to remember everything. So you need it written down. So structure is the key. 
Yeah, and because meetings can go off on a tangent, can't they? And you can go in with all the best will in the world to go, I want to talk about this and this. But then if you're having a natural conversation with somebody, um, and especially if you're a little bit more junior as a recruiter as well, you can be led by the client and what they want to talk about. And I know I've come out of meetings before and gone, why didn't I talk about that? And why didn't I tell them we were doing this? And, you know, so it's, it's having those notes and that structure. Fantastic. Um, and what about after the meeting? Because I feel like sometimes that we do a lot of training around this now at Eames, in all honesty, because this sometimes is the bit that gets forgotten. Um, what, what is there anything that you always do when a meeting's finished and you come back to the office or whatever it might be? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the golden rule is follow up. Um, p- people often make a big deal about make sure you give them your business card. Business cards gather dust somewhere. Nobody yeah. ever looks at business cards. Nobody ever thought. Um, I know you used to get those machines, didn't you, that sort of yeah. flip through. <laughs> Roller decks or whatever no, no, they were. Yeah, nobody's that well organised. We're though. both too young for that. We're both <laughs> too, no way you had a Roller yeah. deck. <laughs> I, I, I know people that had them on their desk. Um, but, uh, I mean, in all, in all seriousness, obviously, um, <clears throat> following up is, is it's obvious, but it's it's probably the golden rule. And I think um, whatever you've discussed, whether it's something that you need to follow up in six months' time, you should always drop a, a note to the client um, um, on email mm. and uh, and basically you sort of summarise what you'd agreed. Um, and, uh, you know, it, that, that then usually sits in the client's inbox. So whenever they think or whenever they're sort of left in a situation where they need to recruit somebody and think, oh, I met that person, you know, three mm. weeks and you know you shouldn't be offended if they don't remember your name because it, it won't be the first um yeah. or last time it happens but um they will often just check back on their emails and, and think okay who was it mm-hmm. and then be in there so you've got to follow up with um you know with, with an email yeah and just also in that my, my advice has always been to people is just saying thank you for your time as well yeah. it's just nice to acknowledge that someone's taken time out of their day and then as you say agreeing whatever those actions are um yeah. i think the other part for me as well is actually delivering on those actions because we get very busy as recruiters, don't we? And we're spinning a lot of plates. Yeah, and we said, oh, we'll send you over a, a, a candidate that might be good for that role that's coming up or a bit of information or a copy of EC News. And we're all very well intentioned in the meeting when we're saying we do these things. But sometimes you come out and then it's got a few weeks have gone past and you think, oh, bugger, I, I didn't send yeah. him that follow up that I said I would. And then you feel a bit awkward about it. You can't do it anymore. It's no, so it's like, oh, the moment's gone. <laughs> the moment's gone. It's really cringy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Great advice, thank you. Um, So one other thing I wanted to have a chat with you about today is the use of data. Um, And that's, again, because it's something that certainly I've seen that you and your team use very effectively. Um, I think from my perception, the use of data, whether it be on individual level or on a divisional level, hasn't been used as something to beat people over the head with, but something to drive performance and all of your teams seem very bought into. Um, So I wanted to get your advice, really, for billers watching this how can they be using data day to day to drive and enhance their performance in your opinion yeah i mean i think you know people often confuse data with um micro or the use of data uh, data with micromanaging and the, the, the two aren't just aren't related at all um you know if i think of you know some of the most successful businesses in the world um they are built and become more successful because of their use of data uh, mm. and especially in the world we live in at the moment um, you want to be able to quantify what good looks like or what you need to be doing to, to hit a certain number um, and 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always been a little bit geeky on data from from when I first mm -hmm. started, and I can only wish that I had, um, you know, the, the tool that we've got now in terms of Salesforce, or at least yeah. the information that it spits out, um, to help me, um, you know, sort of achieve what I wanted to achieve when I was when I was first starting out. Because mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, how, how great is it that you know you somebody's able to say to you, right, if you do this. It's definitely going to lead to this, and, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm brave enough to use the word "definite" because the data never lies. You know, I, I, I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen a situation where we, we've set somebody a target, particularly on their primary KPIs, which are uh, jobs, CVs, and first interviews. I don't think I've ever seen a situation where somebody's hit that mm. or hit what we've asked them to do, and they've, they've not hit their NFI number. Mm. I've seen them not do those numbers and get away with it sometimes. Yeah. But that sometimes there's a good story in there because they've become better recruiters over time. They are doing bigger fees and they're becoming mm. more um, sort of clinical with the CV sends. But I've never, ever come across somebody that um, that has hit all of those numbers, those primary mm. numbers, and never hit their NFI number. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, my, my thing would always be if somebody's saying to you or somebody can show you evidence that if you do this it will lead to this and therefore commission and all the great things that go with it yeah why don't you do it yeah why, why don't you do it so it's and it really is that easy and i think you know we, we in our team we 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 don't use endless kpis we, we mm. bunch into primary kpis and secondary kpis there's three in each um and we try and keep that balance on 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 hitting um both the primary and secondary kpis uh, on a regular basis and you know it, it, it's not a it's not an overnight thing it's a constant mm -hmm. education where you sort of yeah. encourage the guys to to take more responsibility um on their output but it's for them you know that mm. they're telling numbers and they are um you know for a lot of the guys that have been in, in the team you know that they're, they're rolling 12 month numbers which um i mean you've seen some of the sort of um uh, the sort of information bits that we sort of put together for them yeah that uh, they're their numbers, you know. Yeah. They're not numbers that we pull out of thin air and say make fifty calls. They're they're, they're considered. They are um, that they're, they're scientific, and you know if they're hit, they'll 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 hit the numbers that they want to hit. And then, yeah. you know, if you if you get to that stage, it's then about saying right, okay, how do I get to a stage where I either become more clinical, or find more bandwidth to do more? Yeah. Because invariably that's going to lead to more NFI. Um, yeah. So. Uh, you know in my head it just it just makes sense and yeah. I, I think the more comfortable people feel with it um mm. you know I, I think the better you'll see people fine-tuning their, their performance absolutely and there's a couple of things in there in particular for me you mentioned there a few times it's their numbers mm. and I think where we've seen people be very successful across the business and, and in your team as well is is where they feel a sense of real ownership for those KPIs and those numbers and they're looking at their kind of dashboard on Salesforce and you kind of walk past their desk and see they've got the dashboard up and on a Wednesday they're looking at it going or oh, I'm kind of not in the green for that, so I need to make yeah. sure I get some more CVs out this week. It's that level of awareness, isn't it, of what your targets are, why they're there, yeah. and how you're tracking against them, and what you need to do next in order to hit them. That that kind of process yeah. and cycle needs to kind of be continually going on for these billers, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and, and I think the real smart recruiters are, you know, let's face it, sometimes we get a week where, um, you know, for whatever reason your new job numbers haven't been hit and therefore that has an impact on your cv sends and ultimately your first interviews if you haven't got somebody an interview yeah. you're not going to make a placement mm -hmm. uh, 
But for me, the smart recruiters are really the ones that understand, okay, right, this week or week to date hasn't been where I need it to be from a new job perspective. What am I going to do to mm. balance equation on my secondary KPI? So, you know, you can't have your numbers be low on first jobs and still amble along, at, you know, a sort of an average level on client and candidate meetings. You've got to take those through the roof yeah. in order to compensate for, you know, the sort of equation on, on, on the other side. So I know it sounds really simple. And as I say, perhaps it sounds too simple in my head, but for me, they are the smart recruiters. They are the ones that kind of yeah. get it. And they're the ones that you'll find they're more and more just consistent because yeah. you know what to do when, you know, that they're not getting the rub of the green on developing new jobs. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Fantastic. And so finally, Sam, to kind of finish up for today, we've covered a, a, some really good ground and I'm pulling out loads of top tips from the stuff you said, which is great. Um, but bearing in mind the series is called kind of Secrets of Success. What when you think about successful top performers in your division, what would you say are the one or two key secrets of success that you see as a common theme from those guys that you could summarise for us today? I'm not sure I want to give those away, but... Um... <laughs> It, you know, I, I think, and again, these these are so cliche because, you know, everyone in recruitment will have heard them over yeah. the years. But number one is hard work. You can't get anywhere without it. Um, and then, you know, closely followed by just being smart. Uh, and as I say, we're, we're fortunate that we've got, um, you know, some of the some of the some of the kit that we've got within Salesforce that allows us to, you know, measure it and um, and understand what we need to be doing in order to get to the numbers that we need to that we need to get to. Yeah. And that 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 for me is basically, and I mean, you get so many people that say, you know, recruitment isn't complicated and you get people that do make it complicated. Recruitment truly isn't complicated. And I think mm -hmm. it's hard work, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And I think, you know, when you break down what we need to achieve on a weekly basis um, and therefore then break it down on a daily basis, um, it's it's really not rocket science. And again, that's a, that's a cliche term. You, you hear it say. No, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. But it isn't science it's just whether or not you choose you know I guess really for me it's it's about whether the individual wants to be as good as they think they want to be yeah absolutely. Um, if they're prepared and if they're prepared to, to to sort of follow up on that then you know we've got everything that can show them how they get to that stage but the onus is really on the individuals to, to make sure that they hit those numbers and um, and produce the type of performance that they um, that they're threatening to produce, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Great advice. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Sanj, for a great session. No Loads of takeaways from people there. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye.